So I thought, well, if it's good enough for them, I want to see if I can do it. So for a six-month period, I just started on a what I call a paleo diet. I ate nothing but wild animals and plants from western Wyoming. From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Caroline Ballard. This time, we'll hear about a man fascinated with what prehistoric alpine people likely ate. Tori Taylor isn't a scientist or anything. He's just a regular guy. He's actually a hunting outfitter. For years, he and his wife, Meredith, have used horses to pack gear in for archaeologists studying human habitation at high elevations. My colleague, Melody Edwards, sat down with Tori at his kitchen table. You can hear his refrigerator humming behind him. They're at the cabin he built on the bank of the Wind River in central Wyoming. Tori Taylor knew all the arguments for why it was impossible for people to live up at the highest mountains. Too cold, the snow too deep, not enough food up there. Sure, the men might have gone on hunting parties up there, but they never would have brought families. Definitely never built villages up there. But then, Tori happened to be along on a trip into the Wind River Range, when all those deeply ingrained assumptions were turned upside down. We were just doing a typical day trip survey. We were walking around. There was a team of us, about a half a dozen of us or so. Dr. Richard Adams was leading our team, and we'd spent the morning walking around, finding this and that and the other thing. But uh, we had lunch, and then we started into an old white bark pine forest burn. And almost immediately, Dr. Adams found a wonderful, beautiful mountain Matate, a sandstone slab that was used to grind uh, different foods. And then we went on up the hill and found more and more chert flakes, obsidian flakes, all kinds of flakes, more and more tools. And we were just like a bunch of bird dogs on a scent. We were just going crazy, going around there, finding more and more and more. The search for archaeology up at these elevations was brand new. In the past, scientists always said it was just too stressful for people to survive up here at 11,000 feet. They called it the hydroxia zone, where they said there was just too little oxygen to live and would have required way more calories than people could have hunted or gathered at this elevation. So when Tori and the rest of the group started finding this huge number of artifacts scattered everywhere, they kind of started freaking out. And then one of the... Uh, researchers, Joyce Evans, called me over and said, what does a lodge pad look like? And she was standing in an area, what we call a cut and fill lodge pad. It was on a slope, but the soils from the upper part had been moved downwards to make a flat area for a, a lodge or a wiki up at one time. And so I called over to uh, Dr. Adams on my radio. I said, Rich, come over. I think Joyce has found a lodge pad, and he immediately called back and said, yeah, I'm standing in one here. And we just uh, started finding more and more and more of these lodge pads, and uh, we were like a bunch of little kids on Christmas morning. We were just going crazy up there, realizing that we had found an incredible occupational site. That was quite a day. All these lodge pads meant that once upon a time, this mountainside would have been covered with wooden teepees. 
Wikiups, the tribe called them. Before this exact moment, no one had ever found a whole village of this size, up this high. Most places where we have an occupational site, we find anywhere from one to five Wikiup outlines. In, in high-rise village, there's over 60 of these. That's what makes it so unique. It's one of three high-altitude occupational sites in North America that is of this size. And so it's a very, very unique site in Wyoming. It made quite a splash in the world of archaeology when we discovered it in 2006. There's evidence that people lived there as, as uh, recently as 400 years ago and maybe as far back as 3,500 years ago. But even after the discovery of High Rise Village, scientists were still pretty dubious that people could live so high up year-round. And a lot of that doubt centered around the problem of what people could possibly have found to eat. Sitting around the campfire, Tori suddenly looked into his bowl of oatmeal with new eyes. Oatmeal he'd packed in because even he assumed that the mountains couldn't nourish him. I learn best by doing hands-on things. I can read about something and kind of get a pretty good idea like most people, but I like to really learn about things by doing things. And so early on in my archaeology odyssey, I began trying to learn a lot of the, the ancient ways, the ancient skills on what, what's it like to make a projectile point out of a, out of a piece of obsidian. What's it like to tan a sheep hide uh, and make clothing out of it? What's it like to make a ladle out of a ram's horn used in... Which a, is what in, this is? That's, and that's what I'm showing you here is a, this is a ladle out of a curved ram's horn that is a basically a large spoon that this one fits into a soapstone bowl, a replica that I have made and I've used, I've cooked many a meal uh, just like the old timers did in my replica soapstone bowl and and uh, using serving up uh, all kinds of meals with my uh, with my sheep horn. So Tori built all these tools and brought them into his daily life, learned how to use them. He wasn't trying to get all scientific method about it. He just wanted to see through the eyes of these ancient people. But eventually he realized if he really wanted to understand high-rise villagers, he needed to go one step further. Questions arose more and more, well, what exactly did they eat? We knew they were probably mountain sheep and other animals, but what kind of plants are available? And so more and more and more, we kept looking at the plant and food resources that were available at high altitudes in Western Wyoming. And so that launched me on uh, being curious on, okay, well, what exactly did they eat? How did they eat it? And what would it be like to eat like a mountain Shoshone? And so you, you ended up deciding that you were going to try and only eat this way? <laughs> like they, they must have eaten? How yes. did you do that? And so, <laughs> yes, and so I thought, well, if it's good enough for them, I want to see if I can do it. So for a six-month period, I just started on a what I call a paleo diet. I ate nothing but wild animals and plants from western Wyoming. I've hunted all of my life. For over 60 years, I've been a hunter, but I've 
and I knew a little bit about wild plants, but not near enough. And I wanted to learn more. And so uh, I just started this uh, diet to where I didn't eat anything what I call modern American foods at all. I just ate what was available in the wild out in western Wyoming. One of Tori and Meredith's jobs on an expedition was to cook. So they started preparing some of these meals for the scientists as well. And that's how a hunting outfitter with no formal training began subtly influencing the scientific record. I made a list of all of the plants that I had experimented with that summer. And if I recall, it was well over 150 plants that I learned and sampled. The only spice I used was salt from Great Salt Lake, which was known to be a trade item back in the prehistoric days. And so I did use a little bit of salt, but any spices I used were just plant spices that I harvested. These, of course, are rose hips. This makes a wonderful tea, very high in vitamin C. Uh, they're great just to uh, put in your mouth and chew on them. Uh, and this is a wild onion. These were harvested down in the basins. Later on, up in the higher mountains, there'll be a wild chive that is uh, very common. It's been very well documented in the literature as well as in the archaeology record of Mormon crickets being used as food. So we uh, wanted to experiment with Mormon crickets, and so we gathered some of those. That's what these are. They uh, are easy to catch. These were roasted uh, slightly in elk marrow in a hot pan and sprinkled lightly with some salt lake salt. And um, they are very, very high in nutrition, even more than meat. And again, these were, were uh, prehistoric food that uh, people may be a little squeamish about them now, but back in the old days they were a uh, common delicacy. Kind of take the place of uh, something you would have in a bar, like a bar in that thing, or chips and dip and things like that, but I find them delicious. This is spruce tea, which um, took me a little while to kind of get used to it. Spruce tea is kind of like drinking a mild turpentine, that, and you can imagine that. It's a little something, but it's good for you, and uh, it's, it's very common, of course, but it makes a great, a great tea. And uh, I'm going to take a little sip and see. Yeah, that's pretty mild. That's, that's not as strong as some I've had, so this is a little more palatable. Here's a, another type of food that I prepared a lot. This is a replica soapstone bowl. It holds probably two quarts of liquid altogether. I carved it out of a soapstone or steatite cobble I found. And in it, I've made for you to sample uh, trout. It's got deer and elk marrow in this. It's got wild onions. It's got Salt Lake salt. And it's got biscuit root in here. I thought uh, we would sample some of this, uh, this mountain Shoshone soup. And we're cooking it over a wood fire. And I'm going to serve everybody up. Mm. 
Oh, that's good. That's really good. For 3,500 years, people lived the good life in Wyoming's mountains. Tori said they could do that because the mountains provided great forests of whitebark pine trees full of nutritious nuts and enormous herds of bighorn sheep. Descendants of the mountain Shoshone now live in the valley below. You might wonder, well, why did they ever leave? Tori says when the Europeans arrived, those herds of bighorns were wiped out, much like the buffalo. And many of the white bark pines stand dead now because of climate change. On, the, on my paleo diet, I learned many, many things. After I, uh, I started eating wild foods only, almost within days, I noticed a tremendous change in my digestive system and in my body. I felt cleansed inside. Yeah. Ne- I need to do it again, tell you the truth. So, uh, yeah, I was just about to ask <laughs> is, uh, you know, um, how much of this diet has kind of stuck? Some of it has stuck. It, uh, we still make these kind of things. But, I, again, living close to uh, the refrigerators and grocery stores, it, it's, it's hard for me to not eat American foods. I, I like pizza. I like beer. I like a, a little toddy of good scotch once in a while. I, like, I love my coffee in the morning. And so I'm not a purist, but I really miss feeling so good and so healthy and so energized as I did after months of a paleo diet. And once you're out in the wilds, it's a snap. You don't have the choice. I was afraid that I would be craving different things that I left behind, but I didn't. I didn't think about sugar. I didn't think about alcohol. I didn't think about coffee. I missed that. I just, uh, if I was out in the hills, it would be a lot easier, and I may do it again sometime. Just... I would like to feel healthy like I did during those times. Yeah. Nowadays, Tori might not be able to resist a cup of coffee around the campfire, but he did answer the question that he went in search of. Oh, yes, prehistoric people living at High Rise Village would have had plenty of delicious, healthy food to eat at 11,000 feet in elevation. I, I guess I share a love of the mountains with those folks and, and the cultures that went before the, the Shoshone people. And also because many of them are my neighbors here in the upper Wind River Valley, I guess that also makes me curious on what their ancestors, not that distant, what they were like and what they did and and how we all ended up in uh, this valley together today. But personally, those Mormon crickets could have used a little more salt and elk marrow. And maybe not so many legs, just saying. Our storyteller was Tori Taylor. He's written a chronicle of his adventures on the trail of the Mountain Shoshone Sheep Eaters, a high-altitude archaeological odyssey. Melody Edwards brought us his story. To try some of Tori and Meredith's recipes for a wild paleo diet, visit our website, humannaturepodcast.org. 
We still have donations coming in from our winter fund drive. If you'd like to pitch in, just click donate at humannaturepodcast.org. Thanks to Tom Hitchens from Steuben, Maine, Megan and Nathan Rylander from St. Paul, Minnesota, and Michael Devers from Houston, Texas. Other supporters include Nolan and Laura Little from Kearney, Nebraska, Brian Maitland from Laramie, Wyoming, and Bridget and Bruce Brown from Evans, Georgia. And thanks to Sandy and Tim Woods from Port Washington, New York, who say, you guys rock, please keep this going. Thanks to their support, and we hope yours, we can keep this going. Just click donate at humannaturepodcast.org and let us know if you'd like a shout out on the show. I'm Caroline Ballard. The show is produced by Alana Elder, August Law, Annie Osborne, and Tressa Versteg. Our digital producer is Anna Rader. Aaron Jones is our senior producer, and our executive producer is Micah Schweitzer. The theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's human nature.